I'm going to suggest different words to you. And when I say this word, I want you to write down the name of the first face or the person that pops into your head. And it can go in that first column if you want, or it can go up on the top, wherever you want to scribble that. So if you associate the word with a face or a name, jot that down. So the first word is resentment. Is there a person that comes to mind when I say resentment? You might need to hide this from your neighbor. Okay. Is there a person that comes to mind when I say anger? Afraid. How about this word? Attracted. Attracted. Now, my guess is that some of these words um, resonate with many of you. They're conjuring up some feelings right now or memories, perhaps of a disagreement or an argument or a conflict that's happened in your life. There might be an issue that still burns in your heart and mind because of some argument or memory. Um, It might be about money. It might be about lifestyle. Maybe it's about possessions or jealousy, behaviors, responsibility, or lack of responsibility. It could be some major family issue. Um, whatever it is, there's, um, it might be a work-related item that you jotted a name down. Um, but usually these kinds of words conjure up uh, neighbors or, or people who were once a close friend and maybe aren't anymore. Or typically we've got family. We all have family issues. So typically some of the people that might be on your list are related to you. Or maybe it's something and brings up some pain from something you've done to yourself. That could be true as well with this list. Maybe you've tried to push it aside for a while and it's sitting over here smoldering a little bit, ready at any moment to burst into flames. Or maybe it's already a full-fledged battle in your life. I want you to hang on to this page. You can cover it if it's deeply personal, but we're going to come back to it. So don't set it aside. But I want to tell you a story about me unrelated to those words. I am not great with horses. I've never liked horses. I know that's going to disappoint some of you. When I was a kid, we'd have to do these trail rides at a family camp in Colorado And without fail, it was always my horse that never stayed on the trail. Without fail, I always got the horse that was named Demon Seed or Devil's Eye. And I knew I was doomed before we got on the back of the horse. If that wasn't bad enough, somehow it was always my horse who knew that there was a dumb, fearful human on the other end of the reins. And so my horse would hang back from the group. My horse would refuse to obey my commands or try to run me into the tree branches when we're on the trail ride. Inevitably on these trail rides, I also ended up, somehow I always wound up being behind the horse that was uh, putting out a lot of exhaust. (laughs) That was me all the time. My worst experience, though, with horses was not when I was on horseback. It was actually when I was on summer staff at one of our covenant camps in Minnesota, 
and I had to lead the horses for the younger kids. And I confessed my fears to the wrangler. I did not want to do this job. I said, I'll clean toilets. Don't make me lead the horses around. And the wrangler's like, oh, don't worry. These horses are so tame. They could do this trail with their eyes closed. Fantastic. You'd think I would have no problem, right? How hard could this be? But again, my horse was fine until we lead them down to the meadow and they stick their nose in the clover and they begin to eat and I'm holding up the line. I'd wave the reins, nothing. I'd say, giddy up, nothing. My horse just kept eating and I'm standing there and I know that Wrangler had said to us, well, you know, if, if the horse sticks their head down to eat and you have to grip the reins really close to the horse's mouth, right? So there I go, creeping up on the reins, getting closer and closer to the mouth. Do you know that a horse's mouth like, is as big as a bear trap? Okay. I slowly move my hands closer and closer to those big white teeth, and the horse, horses can always sense my fear. So I get her head up out of the grass, and she starts chomping those chompers and blowing on my hand with her nostrils and whipping her head around, and I'm just trying to hang on to the reins the best I can. The horse walks a few feet, and head goes down again to eat, and one more time I slide my hands up the reins, and I pull up on her head only to have her stop, drop, and munch a few feet later. This is the daughter of Mr. Ed. Every horse I've ever dealt with is the daughter of Mr. Ed. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to admit my defeat to the Wrangler or the other line of six-year-olds <laughs> that are um, standing there waiting for me and my horse. I'm holding up the whole line, and I have so much anxiety about this leading this silly horse that I just give up the reins, and I never went back to the horse, horse barn the rest of the summer. I'm sure when I turned and walked through the meadow back to the main part of camp, I think I heard that horse laughing at me. Ponies, horses, and mules always have a mind of their own. That's been my experience. They're not crazy about cooperating with our plans as humans. And if you want to have a deeper relationship with God, there will come a time when you realize that you're either as hungry as a pony, you're as wild as a horse, or you are as stubborn as a mule. This is a make or breakthrough moment in your relationship with God. And this series on forgiveness has been personal, but today it gets really personal. And I even thought, Yes, there's candles, and I don't want to step back and light myself on fire, but I'm standing here. I want to be on the same level as you because um, it gets really personal, and to go deeper with God and be honest with God and ask forgiveness for past sins and ongoing mistakes and actually confess that. As I point my finger at you, there are three pointing back at me, and I am the worst of all of you in this room when it comes to confession, and forgiveness. If we want to move forward with God as a church and as individuals in relationship with Jesus Christ, if we want to move forward into the future that God would have for us, we're no longer talking about strategies and ministry plans like we were in September. We're not talking about church systems anymore. Today we're talking about what it means to be broken before God 
And the minute this topic comes up, we want to put our head down and dig in our hooves like a, like a mule. And even King David resisted God at this point. In Psalm 32, the Lord tells David, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. God doesn't want to force us to confess and come to him. God invites us to come willingly. Yet we hide. We put our head down and we resist being honest with God. And for many, the word confession conjures up this image of a confessional, a dark room where you tell your sins to a priest and you receive some absolution. There's a study done by Georgetown University, a Catholic college, that found that only 2% of Catholics regularly regularly go to confession and 75% go less than once a year or never. Now, in some Catholic churches, the confessional is so rarely used that it's now a storage closet for vacuums, cleaners, and brooms, and mops, and cleaning products. We all know it's uncomfortable and embarrassing to admit your faults and ask for forgiveness. And yet, confession is essential for a healthy relationship, especially your relationship with God. The disciple John says in 1 John 1, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we hide our faults and our sins, we're not only deceiving others, but we're lying to ourselves, and we're living in denial. There's a data analyst, uh, scientist from Google. His name is Seth Stevens. Davidowitz, and he's now an author because he used his data analysis skills to learn what's really going on in Americans' minds. And he found that the queries that people type into search engines never match what they say on surveys about pornography and prejudice. And so he decided he was going to write a book, and he titled it Everybody Lies. People say one thing, and then they go and do something totally different. And you see the darkness that's often hidden by our polite society. The thing that you see, or that we supposedly can't see because everyone's lying, is actually widespread insecurity. I know people put on a front. I'm as guilty as the next person. I worked really hard on what I would wear so that I would look put together for you this morning. I work hard on social media to make sure I present my life as a, I'm having fun. I don't post the pictures of my kids screaming and crying. I post the cute ones where they're smiling. We pretend that we have it together. We pretend that we're more confident and polished than we really are. But we're all anxious. We're all neurotic at times. I now assume that everyone is going through some sort of struggle, even if you would never guess it from their Facebook post. Hiding and denial allow sins and troubles to grow like a black mold in the dark. Silence keeps us from talking about our problems. Secrecy prevents us from getting help when we need it. Denial deceives us into thinking there's no problem or it's just going to go away, and hiding always allows the problem to multiply. Hiding leads to pain. And here's what King David discovered when he hid his sins. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So hiding and holding in our sin causes 
us to suffer. David suffered. He suffered physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So let me be real honest. We are all addicted to sin. The longer we hide it, the more it grows and the more painful it becomes. Sin always has a cost. Sin always leads to consequences that cause pain to us or our loved ones. And when, when that pain comes, we either choose to dull the pain with more sin or we continue, and we continue this cycle, or you can cry out enough and come out of hiding and break the silence and seek help and ask for forgiveness. So pain that we have because of our sin leads us to confession, and this is David's next step in Psalm 32. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Confession means that we are being honest with ourselves and God, and it's important that we be specific We need to do a personal review of all the sins that we're holding in. This isn't my story, but another pastor tells the story of when he left for college. His mother gave him a canvas duffel bag and told him, put your dirty clothes in this every night. And at the end of the week, go wash them at the laundromat. So when the bag was full, he went to the laundromat. And to save a little time, he just threw the whole duffel bag in the washer added some powder, inserted the quarters, and pushed start. And in no time, thump, 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 thump. It wasn't going to work, was it? That thump, thump, thumping was filling the laundromat room, and another student comes over to him and taps him on the shoulder and says, I think the clothes will get cleaner if you take them out of the bag. Our relationship with God is like that. When our relationship with God is hurting and stifled, remember the laundry story because that's the way we confess. Am I right? Dear God, please forgive me for all the sins I've committed. That's about as effective as at cleansing them as the college kids' first attempt at washing clothes. Our sin needs individual attention. This partial or superficial or a half-hearted confession doesn't really clear the air. By surveying 4,000 people, researchers found that those who only partially confessed a transgression felt worse than those who never confessed at all. In the study titled, I Cheated But Only a Little, the lead author says, people seeking redemption by partially admitting their big lies feel guiltier because they do not take complete responsibility for their behavior. The Harvard Business Review summarized this research saying this, confession is a powerful way to relieve guilt, but it only works if you tell the whole truth. So here's an exercise. Take that pencil back out. I'm going to help you completely clear the air. Inside your bulletin, you have that page titled Personal Review. And three causes that tend to trigger sin for us are when we feel angry, afraid, or attracted. So this could be all sorts of categories. It could be people in your life, family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, enemies. It could be an organization or an institution like our government or the the company you work for. It could be this church. It could be our 
general economy. Maybe it's a circumstance in your life, like your job, loss of a job, or your success at a job. Maybe you have health problems, or marriage problems, or divorce, or loneliness, or even substances, alcohol, drugs, food, pornography, gambling, spending. So in the left-hand column, you may already have some names written there. But you can write all the people, all the circumstances which cause you to feel angry or afraid or attracted. So I'm going to give you an example. Um, Let's say it's kind of small, but in the first column, I put the word boss. And then I'm asking in the second column, why do you feel that way? So fill this out for each one that you, each person you wrote down, I want you to fill this out, each organization, each thing that you're frustrated with. Why do you feel that way? Well, he yelled at me when I was late to work, or he criticized my work in front of other people. That's why you feel angry or frustrated. Are you tracking with me? I just, you don't have to write a book, just a note, so you understand why you feel that way. In the next column, the third one, I want to know, why does this affect you? So if it's my boss who yelled at me because I came in late, well, I'm embarrassed. Or it impacts my self-esteem and it hurt my pride. Why does it affect you the way it does? Why are you still thinking about this problem or this issue? And now I'm not excusing your boss in this example for, for what he did or what she did. But on the last column, if there is a part that you play in the problem, write that down. So for my boss, um, maybe, I, maybe I do come in late a lot, and I kind of didn't realize that. Or maybe I'm not really giving my best effort in my job, and I don't really care, and my boss can see right through that. So you may or may not fill out that last one, but go ahead. I want you to fill out a couple of these for the names and the people and things that you wrote down in the first column. There's no right or wrong answers here. I'm asking you to write down what makes you feel angry or afraid or attracted and fill in the rest of those columns. It's what you're holding inside that I'm encouraging you to put on a sheet of paper so you can see it. This may be something you need to take home with you and work on this afternoon. Because I think what's most important here is being as thorough as possible. If you were to take this exercise seriously, and if you are truly honest with yourself, you will uncover issues and sins that you didn't even realize were hiding in your heart and causing you pain. We stuff these things so fast that we don't even realize it or recognize it at times. And when you're ready, I want to encourage you to find someone you trust, confidential brother or sister in Christ, and share your confession with them. And hear their confession. And then you see on the bottom there of your sheet, you can tell each other, in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. This is a powerful moment. The good news is that confession always leads to forgiveness. God always forgives. He wipes away the guilt. It's not just that your slate is clean. It's the heaviness and the weight of sin is gone and you no longer have to carry it. 
And then forgiveness leads to guidance. Confession is not just about setting, the right, setting right the wrongs of our past. It's also about walking the right path into the future. And David says to the Lord, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And then the Lord responds immediately to David, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my loving eye on you. So instead of hiding from God, now the Lord becomes David's hiding place. When we come out of darkness and when we break the silence and we start a new direction, you're going to need the protection of a hiding place. I frequently hear stories of people who enter inpatient rehab and they get sober and they start recovery and they're doing really well until they come back out and get connected with the same crowd that fueled their addiction in the first place. You need a hiding place after you confess. When you confess to God and receive God's forgiveness and break the power of sin, you can't just stand there and take it. You need protection or you're just going to fall right back into the same old, same old problem. God is your hiding place. Find an accountability partner. Surround yourself with a community of believers. Dig deep into God's word. Listen to the Holy Spirit to receive the guidance that will keep you on the path that you should go. Start the difficult yet necessary task of making things right. Gather here and celebrate what God is doing, that God never stops loving us, never stops forgiving us, never gives up on us, and never stops guiding us. David finishes his confession with celebration at the end of Psalm 32. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. We do not hide from God. We do not buy our forgiveness. We cannot earn forgiveness. By God's unconditional love and grace, God freely gives forgiveness to us through faith in Jesus Christ. We do not give in order to earn God's favor. We do not give to win over God's love. We do not give to prove our faith. We give, we serve, we pray. We worship, we love, we confess, because God first loved us. Only Jesus can forgive us, and only Jesus can give us the grace we need to forgive as we have already been forgiven. Would you pray with me? Gracious God in heaven, all we can say right now is thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your amazing love. Your persistent work in drawing us to yourself despite our rebellious hearts. We pray that you will keep us humble. We pray that we would be totally in love with you because of your love shown first of all to us. Forgive our stubbornness. Forgive our pride. And help us to forgive as we have been forgiven by you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.